It's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I can follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out... What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Duke this past Saturday, Robbie, but that is... Not the biggest news on this episode. Coach Justin Fuente is out at Virginia Tech. The news hit this morning. How are you feeling, man? I'm thinking about the past six years that we did during this podcast. Uh, We started the podcast seven years ago, I think, towards the final years of Beamer. So it's kind of a mixed emotion of excitement for the future uh, on realization of what we just kind of went through for the past six years and even with this podcast in mind the ending years of beamer were included so i'm 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 excited let's put it that way all right let's give us a cheers let's let that excitement spill over (laughs) yeah the, the excitement i have right now is i'll do a couple different cheers and i'll just mix it all together i think that the way things ended the timing a lot of people have talked about was suspect i think wit did a great job during his press conference and addressing a lot of those concerns i'm excited that we have a, a potential to hold together the recruiting class and overall uh I'm pumped to be able to root for these upcoming games and Virginia Tech football moving forward without any backdrop of what the coaching search is going to be. Like, that's my real cheers is I just hope Virginia Tech football does well, period, full stop. That's all I care about uh, moving forward. And that is kind of a weight off my shoulders. Dude, and I'm, I'm with you 100%. Cheers. Cheers. This really is a throwback to our first year because that was the last year of Beamer. The first season we did this, it was 2015. We went to the Ohio State game to kick off the year. We were totally jacked up. We had just started the podcast. And then at the end of that season, we started going through coaching candidates. And so this feels a little familiar in that sense. And we're the only podcast out here that has done that because none of the other ones existed back then. So... It's it's weird to be back in this spot, but I will say the same excitement I felt then is here. It was different, though, because I was sad about the outgoing coach being Frank and having his legacy and what that meant and trying to sum all that up is far different than what we'll be doing tonight. And I, I this isn't going to be a dance on the grave kind of episode, but right. there is reason for excitement. There is a reason to you know pull yourself back into fandom again, because I think a lot of people have felt apathetic, have felt like there's no hope for success. And we're done with that now because with new coaching comes new 
hope and all the rest of that. And I, I personally can't wait to see who we get and what his philosophies are and how he recruits and all that stuff. It's just going to be so exciting. But uh, also, I guess this is the last time people are going to hear our intro music. <laughs> that's that's probably right. We're going to have to change it up a little. I don't know what we're going to use. And uh, yeah, we, we have a couple I've, of weeks. I, a couple of weeks back, actually, I maybe a month back, I asked people, I said, I'm going to start changing things up because Khalil Herbert's in there and the Fuente quotes are in there. And we like to keep it timely. You know, Herbert's not on the team anymore and Fuente's not our coach anymore. So we have to change it now. So by next week, we will have some new intro music quotes, whatever. Uh, and I've got a few ideas and I've got a few samples. Some people tag some stuff for me on Twitter. So it's, uh, it's going to be good. We will have awesome. some entertaining stuff for you guys to hear the next time you hear our intro. But to start this thing off, we just got to get into the news. Fuente is gone. It was phrased as a mutual parting of the ways between, you know, Virginia Tech and Fuente, which essentially means we paid him to go away early. And as Wit started to speak, it came out that it's going to be a lump sum. And it's going to be $8.7 million rather than the 10 that he was due prior to the December 15th date. I believe all things say it was supposed to be $10 million. He got 8.75. So a good day for Fuente. Nobody's uh, crying in a cereal bowl on that, on that front. <laughs> um, and then there's quotes out there to if whatever happens with the assistant coaches and everything could take it all the way up to, I think, $11 million of kind of guaranteed payouts. But in any case, I think it's, yeah, the straight $10 million buyout that's it's going to be for, uh, or sorry, the $8.75 million buyout for, for Fuente. I thought it was funny how right after it happened, a lot of the national college football people, Twitter heads, whatever, Stephen Godfrey, they all were firing off the things like Virginia Tech just spent $2.5 million to get rid of a guy early. They panicked. They did this. How hilarious is that? They wanted to get rid of him so badly they're willing to spend the money. It's like, do any of you want to do like one ounce of research before yeah. you fire off these tweets? Yeah. Because it's it was ridiculous. Every single one, even every day should be Saturday, Spencer. Like even he did it. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Like look look at the fine print. Wait for the press conference. Like what are we doing here? Well, it, and it's so funny because- I, we do at times like we all like to make fun like it's always like and a joke <laughs> and but they all just wanted to kind of spout off like their their first kind of thing but these are all very very well-known writers like national level writers and every single one of them had it wrong like yeah. every single one of them did, did anybody th th all that tells me is not a single one of you have a source inside of the program that is reputable <laughs> and you right all on. just embarrassed yourselves because you got the number wrong. You didn't have, you didn't even get the buyout number wrong. And then you didn't get the actual payout number wrong, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and yeah, go it, over that. I'm not, but I'm not ripping on those guys. I just thought it was weird how they all just wanted to, to say. And then so, when someone used the word panic, I had to reply to it. I'm like, six years in isn't a panic. All right. If anyone panicked, it was you, Dub. It was LSU. It was USC. You know, like it wasn't us that panicked. We were planning this yeah. after, you know, the freaking Liberty game last year and couldn't do it because of COVID. So I, I just, I don't know. But let's let's just talk about what Witt had to say a little bit. He did remark that Fuente could have finished the season as the head coach, and he declined. Yeah. And then there was some reaction that. 
people felt he was quitting on the team. I think I even saw Chris Cunningham, our former tight end, say like, hey, every time a player walked out the door, you said we were quitting. But if Fuente leaves early, he's not quitting. I think, and I'll, I'll let you reflect on that as well, but like, let's just be happy he's gone. <laughs> we don't have to say he quit on the team. We are quitting on him. We're firing him. And he yeah. decided to help us out a little and leave early and take a little bit less money. So, like, if anything, we should be grateful at this point. That, that seems like a nice cheap shot to, like, kind of throw in at the end. Is like, yeah. yeah, now you're quitting on the team. The fact is, is and I thought Witt addressed this pretty well, is is the meetings, the Wednesday meetings that he was having were getting harder to have. And quite frankly, if you're a Hokie fan or you're a former player or you pay attention to anything to national media, the heat had gotten so bad that mm-hmm. there is no way that in any job that you are at, you would ever stand there. And it, like, it sounds like during finally one of the last Wednesday meetings, he was like, and was like, yeah, you know, it's like, I don't know if I can say you're going to be here next year. And Fuente's like, you know what? I don't know if I want to anymore. It, it makes sense. The heat had gotten so bad. I, I mean, we were giving him heat every single podcast national media member every single person was giving him that much heat it probably just made sense to part ways and that was kind of it yeah i don't take it as him quitting on the team i mean the guy literally has gone gray in the last like three years it has taken a toll on him and we don't want him anyway i'd rather have jc price for the last few games so i don't care if he quit on the team you can call it whatever you want he is gone celebrate it okay celebrate the fact that we're gonna have a new beginning um, and he, and he's going to get his money too. Like you've said, we don't need to say he's a great guy. We don't need to say any of that. He's a stubborn guy who's been disingenuous and a little bit of a spin master with our fan base. And I am grateful that he is no longer the coach. And that's, that's what I'm going to say about it. Can we and talk about the timing here? So like a lot of stuff goes into this, I think is really important. It's the funny part is I, I went back to the date. So the date that he got hired, November 30th, 2015, there were games that day. Virginia Tech actually beat UVA that day. So um, another day. And that's when it came out that Virginia, Virginia Tech was hiring Justin Fuente. And that was a little bit later in the season. But we have two games left in the regular season. And there's a few things that are playing right now. Early signing day. Is, is the first and foremost. Like the whole game has changed with early signing day and the announcement of this. The second, Fuente didn't sound like he wanted to stick around and the fan base didn't want him around. So that's number two. And then third is the broader climate of college f- football coaches getting let go earlier. And at some point, you, you, you can try and buck the you know, trend, but you sometimes have to ride it, especially if you want to make a decision that's better for the program moving forward. And I think those three things played into the timeline more than anything else. Yeah, and I I don't really have a huge issue with the timing. I mean, is it weird because it was Tuesday and not Monday or Tuesday and not Sunday? I mean, we yeah. all knew that he was cooked, right? Like we knew that this was going to happen. So They waited until after senior day, and there was obviously other things to iron out because of the quote-unquote mutual parting. Like, he's—I'm not saying Fuente did us a favor. What I'm just—like, they had to work together on the new contract language to get this done. And it probably took all through the night on Monday, and then they decided we're going to release it Tuesday morning. I don't give a crap about the timing. We knew it was going to happen, and the sooner the better. And so I'm glad we don't have to wait till after UVA because— there is early signing day and all that other stuff. And Witt kind of talked about that a little bit in the comments and that like, 
recruiting uh, like was a factor, but at the same time, last year in the December press conference, he says the recruiting class had no effect on us keeping one day, when today he basically said that it did. So Witt's got to do what he's got to do. He was getting asked some tough questions by Nizalek and a bunch of other guys, and I think he did the best he could. I, I really do, because what's he, what's he supposed to say? Like, you got me. I really screwed up last year. We all know he screwed up. And so I think he did the best job he could today trying to explain the thought process last year and this year and even said, I didn't handle it well. Do you have any final commentary on Witt today? No, I thought Witt handled it as well as you possibly could. And thought one of the things he said, it wasn't, it wasn't him failing. It wasn't us failing. It was just collective, just a failure in general, I thought was like a way to articulate because – that's how it kind of felt. It just it felt like all around nothing worked out, um, mm-hmm. and now we're moving on. Yeah, I just thought the the one thing that he said that was a little bit funny is that he's basically said hindsight is a hell of a thing. You know, it's yeah. very clear now that I made the wrong decision, and we literally said on our last podcast, like, no, we we knew, and so many people that we know and love knew that this was going to end like this a year mm-hmm. ago, but. That's that's where we are now. Do you want to talk some candidates? Well, I guess first we should introduce our interim head coach, J.C. Price. Do you find it interesting we went with J.C. rather than one of the coordinators? No, and I'll, I'll rely a little bit on the beat writers here. I think it made, made sense, and they probably got a couple uh, buzzwords in their ear that it doesn't shift up the rest of the coaching staff that much. It keeps it kind of intact. Um, he's obviously a Virginia Tech. If you put somebody that is that tied into the Virginia Tech program. You got two games left, maybe more. <laughs> and that's a possibility. But, you know, it's, what are you going to do, right? Like, it's one of those situations that, at best, you can come out with a win out of one of the next two games, and that would be remarkable for anybody that's stepping into a situation like this, especially when the head coach is, is gone. So uh, I didn't, I thought it was actually a pretty astute, choice to keep the rest of the staff in the positions that they are obviously the defensive lines can be a little shaken up but other than that i thought it was the right choice yeah i i liked it and it, you're right it doesn't mess things up they, they have coordinator duties to attend to so it, it would seem clear that you're not gonna make brad corn nelson the interim head coach it seems obvious but i'm glad that they didn't do it and Jay Ham has to be the D coordinator. So yes. JC being older than Jay Ham and having been a historic beloved Hokie, it just seems like the right guy to do it, an experienced coach in general. Before we get to the actual candidate names, let's just talk a little bit about what Witt said he wanted in a guy. And it seems like a sitting head coach is what he's going to go after first. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, he said, well, he kind of doubled on that. Like he said, I want a head coach because, you know, they've been there, done that. And then he also said, you know, every every coordinator has been a coordinator before they were head coach. He kind of did that whole. And I think that was more just spin just to kind of open it up and, you know, make sure that he has um, if he doesn't have somebody locked in, he's got to leave himself the ability to have, you know, somebody else, you know, available to put in that position. So I thought he handled, you know, that piece of it pretty well. I did think he hit on culture and like fit 
and you know somebody that you know i i know this is not fair and it's probably a mean thing to say but everything that he said from the type of personality was very much mike young like kind of personality like i think he's seen that resonation in the fan base very much and how it's gone obviously mike young has done a tremendous job and that goes well beyond just like his personality and things like that but i think he's seen a lot of benefit from how that resonates with the fan base and i think that came through in his comments pretty well yeah and you have to consider when witt hired fuente it was very early in his tenure as ad and he has made so many good hires including buzz and mike young and in many of the other sports, I mean, he has just knocked it out of the park on hire after hire. But we obviously know that Fuente, despite being lauded early on, wasn't the right fit for us. But Witt knows Virginia Tech a lot better today than he did when he hired Fuente. And that's something that Brendan Hill had said in the spaces with Tally. Um, and it's something that I absolutely believe as well. I mean, it... It makes such a difference, even though he was a Harrisonburg guy and like tech was his dream job and all this stuff. He didn't know tech as personally as he does now. He knows exactly what we need now, especially for our financial situation, our on the field success, the stuff that he's seen work with basketball. And because I don't even think he brought us buzz and buzz was great for raising the profile. I don't know if Buzz was perfect for Virginia Tech. You know who was perfect? Mike Young. And that came later. And so if even if Fuente had worked, so to speak, and then moved on to Baylor like he might have a couple years ago, he would have done a better job. Witt would have done a better job getting the second coach every time because he just knows Tech better now. And so that's why I still have faith that in wit in picking this next coach because he has done so well everywhere else his acumen in college athletics is very high and i know maybe not everyone wants to hear that because we stuck with fuente too long but he has done a tremendous job he's a very good ad very well respected ad so i i a look very, forward very to seeing what he's doing a very good fundraiser a very good fundraiser identified like he yes he was new to the program early but he has done extremely well like if you i guarantee if you pulled everybody who's like one of the you know top 10 percent in the entire country in ad's he would be in there probably every single time i think i want two things in the next head coach on top of perhaps being a sitting head coach although that's not a prerequisite for myself um they need to be able to build relationships very, very well with, with everyone. And that's something that in that space is that Tally mentioned. Everyone knows him from Twitter, I'm assuming. If you don't, he runs the spaces all the time. But he just talked about how Nick Saban couldn't go into any black barbershop and just strike, strike up a friendship, conversation, relationship with anyone. I'm not saying you got to be Nick Saban like that, but you got to be better at fostering relationships than Fuente has been, especially in the state, especially with the high schools. you got to be better at that. And you have to have experience at a big-time program. I, I, I don't care if it's Ohio State, Clemson, Bama. It doesn't matter. You got One of those 10 Blue Bloods or whatever it is, you got to have coached at one of them and have seen the inside of the sausage factory. Yeah, and I think that takes a couple different ways of going. It's not just being inside a program and the facilities and all that kind of stuff. It's just seeing how whoever's the head coach of that kind of program 
knows how it's supposed to be run, knows how it's supposed to be operated, knows when they're supposed to be a GM versus a coach. And those are very different, you know, aspects of the job knows when they're supposed to be a fundraiser versus like somebody that's supposed to be on the field. Um, so those big time programs, you're, you're learning, you're around it, you see it and you absorb that kind of, um, those kind of things. And I think that'll feed in a little bit into what we're about to talk about here shortly, which is, you know, a couple of the potential candidates. Yeah. And I'll go over, these are the head coaches that have come up repeatedly. Billy Napier, Dave Clawson, Jamie Chadwell, Luke Fickle, Hugh Freeze, Shane Beamer, and Charles Huff. Those are the names I've heard. Am I, did I miss anyone? No. In fact, you included a couple of them that I don't think are possible. So it's actually yeah, perfect. Well, yeah, I kind of just sweeping yes. with a broad brush there. And then uh, the coordinators that I've heard in passing have been Mike Elko, Marcus Freeman, uh, Elliot from Clemson, and Venables from Clemson, as well as yeah. I'm throwing Jim Leonard in there from Wisconsin yes. myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because you want Jim Leonard. Yeah, I, 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 get, I, I mean, I love that defense. Yes. Um. So where do you want to kick this off? Because we have a few. I, I have I have two names that I think everybody's heard that I kind of want to talk about. I think there's a couple of your list that I could take off the table. And then there's a couple that, who knows, maybe Wick goes out and does something special. Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we take a couple off the table? Okay. And we don't Luke have Fickles to go through everyone with a fine-tooth comb. Fickle's but like, not... Fickle's not coming to. to Fickle's not going to be here, right? Beamer, I don't think Shane's going to jump out of South Carolina in a in a year and come here. And Uh, I don't think the reception would be. The reception would have a lot of doubt surrounded because it's just the name and that kind of thing. So not that he hasn't done amazing things at South Carolina. So I don't think that. I think that's off the table. What about uh, Hugh Freeze? Um, I. I think that no, he's off the table. I, I, think I don't Witt, think Wit would hire him. Wit, Wit wouldn't allow that, especially with <laughs> trying to uh, uh, get in with the fan base. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. All right. So that leaves Napier, Clawson, Chadwell, and that's it for the head coaches. I mean, yeah, Huff, Huff. Yeah, and then Huff, and I think Huff. Yeah, that's possible, and I, I think that would be interesting. I just don't. I think that would be, I think it would be, yeah, I think it would be like more of a backup if that makes sense. And, and and I'm not trying to disrespect him, but I think it would be more of like, yeah, we kind of missed on some of the ones that we just talked about is how I would characterize that. And then the assistants, those are a lot of big names too, but, um, well, how about this? Let me ask you this one. What about the NFL guys that we've heard? like oh. Brian Dabble or Eric Bieniemy or Bill O'Brien, like those, those type of people. Like I don't see it going that way. I, I, not if you're trying to establish. Or Byron Leftwich. That's another one. Yeah. <laughs> Leftwich, which a lot of people really kind of like that, that mm-hmm. name. I think um, maybe, but I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of it from wits mentality, not from just like names and things like that. And Coming from the NFL, there's such. If you're trying to reestablish a culture with a fan base, NFL coaches can do that. They can do that very well. But like trying to build that whole culture within the program, I think would be very tough. Like it's so much more. Prof- it's professional sports, obviously, but like it's so much more business driven, and this needs to be less business and more just culture. If that makes sense. 
It does. And I just view it as hiring an NFL guy is more of a risk. It just, it seems more risky to me. And you could say, oh, they're, they've been in the NFL. Like they'll recruit like crazy. You don't know that. They've never really had to do it. Recruiting is such a big part of the college head coaching position. It's, it's just as big as the on the field stuff. And so if you, it just, it's riskier. And I know Bill O'Brien has been a sitting college coach and he, he did a good job bringing Penn state out of the whole scandal. Um, but I also think he's a little, he's just not what we want the, he seems like he might be slightly out of touch with what a younger generation needs right now. Um, but that's again, my personal opinion, I don't see Witt hiring any of those guys like that. So to me, it leaves Napier, Clawson, Chadwell, and potentially Huff. But after one year at Marshall, I don't know if he's done enough yeah. in uh, in Witt's eyes. Yeah, I, I, and he could be a possibility if, depending if the other guys are are off the table. And then you brought up some names at assistants. You want to go through a couple of those? Sure. Elko, um, I mean that that would be. In my mind, it's like I don't I don't want to tear the hires because I don't I don't know and I think what's going to know. But I mean, that's not a bad name. I mean, I I don't think somebody's coming out of Clemson and going to Virginia Tech right now. Like I got to be honest, it, it, like it just doesn't. Well, let's yeah. let's talk about the Clemson guys briefly. We got okay. Brett Venables on one side because it's two entirely different things. Very different. Got Tony Elevant. Tony <clears throat> got Tony Elliott on the offense. Brent Venables on the defense. Venables has been there forever, probably been offered multiple head coaching jobs, has never left. Doesn't seem like he wants to leave. And maybe, just maybe he would leave for Virginia Tech, but like it kind of doesn't seem possible. Elliott, on the other hand, like Clemson's <laughs> offense isn't good. <laughs> I know. Well, and it's, yeah. So it, it, the interesting part of those two is I don't think we have a, these are my personal opinions. I don't think we have a shot at Venables, so I'm taking it off the table. And I think we have a shot at Elliott, and I don't want it. Is that like well said? So, well said. Um, I think he, I think Elliott might actually take it, and I don't think that's the right move. I really do not think that's the the, the right move um, for us and Venables. Venables is kind of it, it. That would be problematic. I'm assuming this is under the you know, auspices that he would take the job. I don't think that would work as well. It, it's kind of, it's the Bud Foster kind of repeat. And it's like, yeah, well, you couldn't, Bud Foster didn't become the head coach. So then you got Brent Venables. I mean, he is, he is an amazing coach and well, every dollar worth every dollar that he gets paid. I don't think that's the right move either. Um, so Elko, and then I think you had a fourth name on there. It was uh, Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame. Yeah. And who's that, a very big up and comer. People speak highly of him. Uh, he was just at Cincinnati and then moved to Notre Dame, same position, defensive coordinator. And so, yeah, he, he could be great, but again, never had to do it. I would be more comfortable with someone like Elko, who's just been around a little bit longer, worked at multiple places really for a while and, and built stuff, you know, like yeah. Marcus Freeman hasn't shown that he can build a, a, year after year defense at Notre Dame Venables has never shown that he can be a head coach. And I quite frankly, if you've ever seen any interviews with him and stuff, I'm not sure that he's built for it. You know, I I don't know. He wants to be even right. Or does he want it? And if he hasn't wanted it this long, why is he going to be all of a sudden wanting it and good at it now? Jim Leonard, to me, it would be a great pickup just because he's 39. He's young, but not too young has 
done such a good job up there. Obviously, he's Wisconsin, born and bred, went there, all the rest of it. But, like, he could step out for a few years and come to Tech and do great. It just depends on the OC that he gets. But, again, yes, because Witt just – he kind of just did this, right? He kind of just – A little bit of a fish out of water, I think, in terms of – and we just did that. Like, we just t- – we pulled somebody out of, like, a fish out of – and – it didn't work. And I, I got to be honest, I don't know how well Leonard recruits nationally, not locally mm-hmm. now, like how he recruits nationally. But I imagine that would be a that would be a lot of a learning curve for him to come in. And, and that's a great point, so. because we need someone that can get in those Virginia high schools, get in the North Carolina high schools all the way down south to Florida and really sell. And like, that's just not what Leonard's had to do right now. Um but you brought up a good point because we don't want to repeat necessarily of Fuente. And so, and people have kind of said that about Jamie Chadwell and that he's going to be a repeat of Fuente because he's G5 and he's going to bring all of his G5 guys and it's not going to work out. And listen, that is a fine opinion to have, but you're just blowing smoke because you don't have a single clue what he would do, who he would bring, how well he would do. we just don't know. And that's the hardest part about this is that you can say this guy won't work. This guy will work. This guy's G five. He's not built for it, but no one knows who's going to be Dabo. And no one knows who's going to be Fuente. No one knows who's going to be Charlie Weiss. You you just don't know who's going to be what, but you can make an educated guess. And to me, the two guys that I had the most faith in from just the names we've listed would be Billy Napier and Dave Clawson for highest floor. I don't know about highest ceiling, but I think both those guys have a very high floor. Couldn't agree more. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is like, And even of the three of them, Clawson, you know what you're getting at this point. I mean, he's not... He hasn't done it with recruit, like like stellar recruits. He's just done it through grind, culture, and all of that. And it, Take this year out. Like, I know it's like, oh, well, they're having a great year. Like, forget this year. It is incredible what he's been able to do. And he's done it before. I mean, he's done it at at Bowling Green when Bowling Green was literally absolutely terrible and managed to, like, kind of rise them up and build them. He's, He's done it at programs, and he's never done it flashy. He's just done it through, like, you know, work ethic, kind of just gone at it. And it's been sustainable. Even in the bad years, it's been okay. So I think Clawson, you have a floor there. And I think with Napier, just the way that he's gone about and the added benefit of Napier is look at the programs he's been at. So he started as a G at Clemson. He went to South Carolina State. Okay. Then he spent, what is that, five years at Clemson between tight ends coach and then uh, offensive coordinator, QB coach there. Went to Alabama, was an analyst there. Alabama, again, as a wide receivers coach, Arizona State. And then now, obviously, his run at Louisiana. Whereas with Jamie Chadwell, because I think these three are what we're kind of getting into, is it's always been kind of those programs, right? East Tennessee, it's Charleston Southern, Northern Great, like 
He's Chadwell on, hasn't been at the big boy programs. He's he's never even touched any of the big boy programs, really. He's mm-hmm. never even sat in the locker room of the big boy programs. And I'm not trying to take anything away from him and what he could do in the future. But if you're trying to kind of weigh out what the probability is of success and comfort moving into, and heck, we're not even the biggest boy programs these days, but just a power five program you have that gives you a little bit of a question mark. Yeah, it does. And and that's why people are knocking him and I and I get it. I really do because Jamie Chadwell's not my first pick. My first pick is Billy Napier to run our program. I think he's done an amazing job. Whether he can go into a barbershop and foster relationships, I don't know. But anyone is going to be able to do it better than Justin Fuente just about. And he has won man i mean he's been at louisiana 11 and 3 10 and 1 and 9 and 1 this year he could very well win that last year didn't he go into iowa state and win yeah and i think that this is aren't they going to win for like this would be like one of like their fifth year i think in a row winning <laughs> winning their div, their division so uh um, oh, they've been in first place every year he's every been there, at year. least tied for it yes yeah so it's it's good um and then I know we're starting to hone in, so like we're kind of leading the witness here, but um, he's familiar with the area. He's recruited, and, and not that we recruit that much, but he's familiar at least with the territory. And that's not to say that James Chadwell isn't, because he actually has spent a lot of his time um, in a familiar area. But I do think that it's just kind of a check the box on him, in, in addition to Chadwell and some of the places that they're familiar with recruiting out of. And he's he's had to recruit different style players i think than what you have to do at coastal carolina or what you have to do at charleston southern or what you have to you know what i mean that is Mm -hmm. it's a small difference but i think it's a meaningful difference and if you're looking for somebody that's on the rise you're looking for the ability to take those stepping stones upward and this isn't supposed to be napier versus chadwell or or napier versus claw it's we're we're giving our opinion on who we think would be best to lead tech and we we don't know any better than the rest of them we're making a guess and we're kind of making a guess at what wit might do and it seems like napier would fit a lot of those things the other thing that would be good about billy napier and this this could be said about a few of these different guys is that the connections to louisiana high schools could be valuable i'm not saying that you bring a Ton of, tons of guys, Louisiana 2VT. I'm not saying we, we run one of those campaigns, but if you think about the previous destination and the hookups you might have in that state, it's better than Memphis. It's, <laughs> it's one of, it's like the fourth best recruiting ground in the entire country. And the only yes. school that recruits out of it is one school. Um, so if you want to like go in and you have real ties in there, that would be awesome. I'll also, just so we don't hit on t- one person too much, I'll also say that the nice part of Clawson is how his name has never come up for jobs. Like, he 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 stays off the radar, and if it was the right fit, and him and Witt decided it was the right fit, it would almost be of his choosing to go to Virginia Tech because he has been a name that's just been like, second tier nobody really talks about him and he's never put himself out there for a lot of jobs he's never really like promoted himself i don't know who his agent is but like 
he's never really been that guy. So if he was ready to make a move, I think it would be on, you know, I'm ready to commit to this program. And he's yeah. obviously committed to Wake. I mean, that's what he's he's done. Well, the th- thing that I've heard whenever I've brought up the Clawson idea is that would he take it? Does he is he just content to be at Wake Forest and want to keep his family there, et cetera, et cetera? And that's kind of funny to me. Like if Virginia Tech or Wake comes open, historically you'd be like, yeah, you should coach at Tech. Uh, but he, because he hasn't been in these other coaching searches, that rebuttal kind of makes sense. Like maybe he doesn't want to move on. Maybe he doesn't want to change his life up or or upgrade. He can take Wake to a top ten team. Literally, they are in the top ten again in the committee rankings as of tonight. Like that's incredible. It's really incredible what he's accomplished. And there's been some pushback on Dave Clawson because it's just not a, a flashy hire. And but he would be tremendous attack again, high floor. It might take a little while because I'm not sure about the level of recruiting. I think we'd get a higher level of recruiting with Billy Napier. That's just my opinion as of right now, but I do believe the retention and the development of quarterbacks would be much, much better than what we're used to if we hired Dave Clawson. Yes, I would agree. All right, do you want to move on to some other news and notes, or do you have some final thoughts on the coaching search or just Fuente in general? No, I think I think it's early and um, a lot to digest considering it was 8 a.m. this morning when all this yeah. started getting announced, and we've already hit on it a lot for day one, but I, I will say... I'm excited. Um, I am nervous also, as I think we all should be. Like, what's the future hold? But I'm excited more than anything else. Yeah, I'm very excited. And you're right. There are weeks to get into this. In fact, we probably tackled too much tonight going into candidates. But we know that's what people want to hear. And you know that's what we're talking about when we have our personal phone calls and all that other kind of stuff. So it was fun to get into a little bit. And I'm beyond pumped, man. It's a new era for Virginia Tech football. And I can't wait to see what happens in the next month. For now, let's get into the AP poll quickly. Bama jumped Cincy, and so now they're number two. Wake is still at number 13 in the AP poll, but like I said, they're number 10 in the CFP rankings. The top four in the committee rankings were Georgia, Bama, Oregon, and Ohio State, with Cincinnati sitting right outside at number five. Again, Michigan, again, in front of Michigan State and Notre Dame. So we had three ACC teams. It was Wake at 10, Pitt at 18, NC State at 20. This weekend, we're getting that uh, Michigan-Ohio State. So someone, someone's going to move in or stay in those top four rankings. Yeah, and which do you have it being? In that game? Yeah. I mean, I like Ohio State. They've, they're, they're the heavy favorites. Yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's horrific. If you actually look at the top four, like it's just, you know, it's an Oregon kind of, <laughs> it's the same old stuff we're used to. You're saying it's so bad. It's we, we did a complete like around and we ended up at the same place. I will say like, yeah. you know, I get it. I understand it. You know, it, let me put it this way. If you were to take Cincinnati on against Oregon in a neutral field, who'd you take? The way Cincinnati's been playing, I take Oregon. Yeah, I Cincinnati's take, been playing. They've been playing bad the last four weeks. They've been playing. They've been winning their games. They just been not been playing great. I would take Cincinnati, exactly. and it wouldn't even be close. And it you would, would just, take Cincinnati. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
yeah, it's like having Oklahoma at number three. Um, I just yeah. think if the last four weeks, if Oregon had played Cincinnati in any one of those games, they would have won. I think yeah. Cincinnati has not been clicking. Yes, and I think if you give them a game against a team like Oregon, I think you would be very surprised. The fact is, is that that you play against your opponent, and you usually play down it's to true. your opponent. Um, and you know, there's a couple teams, and they've been winning. Yes. So I, so I hear you. Alabama played down to a team called Florida that just um, uh, had a great game this week. So like, you know, I get it. Yeah. So, um, back when they they played, but no, I I I get it. It's just. This is the complete box out of Cincinnati. Like this is Well, we're going to find out this weekend a little bit because if Cincinnati plays like they have been against SMU, they mm. will lose. And yeah. they got them this weekend. So I'm very curious to see how that game goes cuz that would actually if they beat SMU by 10 points, like I'd be pretty impressed. Yeah. I th- I think they'll beat them by more than that, but we will okay. see. Uh, I like it. We're we're picking that game later. So I know. We'll, we'll, so we'll find out. But the rest of the rant, I, they all made sense. The, the whole Michigan State Michigan thing. You know, let those two fight it out. Um, I did think Oklahoma State is having a very very nice season, and most people are not paying attention to it, which is really really surprising. Um, they had like such high expectations, much like Iowa State, and then. They lost a game, but since then have played very, very well. Uh, Baylor, my goodness, I mean they they are playing really good, and um, I know it's the rankings are very interesting outside of the top four. Yeah, they are. Yeah, with with OK State at number nine, they're going to have to play Oklahoma coming yep. up here in not too long, and it's going to get really fun. Honestly, the last few weeks of the season, they're going to have some really great matchups. I can't wait to see what happens. Yep. Virginia Tech basketball. We are three and zero in basketball. I know we're taking a little change up, but we got it. We got to hit B ball before we do our beer break. Twenty seventh in the Ken Palm, twenty sixth in the AP poll. One spot out of being ranked in the AP poll after our first week. That didn't even include our Radford win. That just included the game against Navy, yep. where we won by twenty. That's a team that beat UVA. How about that? How That's kind of nice. How about that? That's uh, how about a common opponent matchup uh, right yeah. there and and uh, we saw I don't know. Luma come alive a little and, bit in that game and we watched in this in this last game we watched the defense had to do it when the offense wasn't like playing very well and they they showed up so I don't know you're you're hanging the banners is still holding strong and I like it I would have liked to see the offense be a little bit more productive this past game and it was um you know it, it wasn't horrible it just wasn't yeah. great but the defense played outstanding um and I thought it was good I, I they're off to a really good start I do think they got shafted I can't believe well, I guess they, it hasn't included the last game, and I don't know if it's really going to make a difference, but I do think they should be in the top 25 at this point. Yeah, they definitely have a case. Um, the last game against Radford with regard to the offense, it was like fits and starts. Like Storm had 17, but then he didn't really score much down the stretch. It was good to see Storm hit four out of five threes, though, yes. because he was only two of nine in the first two games, so he came alive a little bit there. Uh, Mutz, 11 and eight, he did... Not only did he do the dunk on the alley-oop, that Storm megged a guy with the ball and I then did the alley-oop, uh, and then he jammed it with one hand. Unbelievable play by Mutz. 
And then he comes back down the other end of the floor while they're taking a free throw and does the let's go. And then the fans do the hokies back to him. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he was... That was such a great clip. And our coach, Mike Jones, the assistant from DeMatha, who we just brought in, he tweeted at me the video because I had tweeted about it. And I was just like, this is crazy. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Mike Jones is hooking me up with the video. This is great. And I got to be honest, the ball handling skills of Storm on that were phenomenal as well. Like the whole play was picture perfect. I mean, the it fact was, that it was through, through the legs and then it was a one hand toss up to a one handed dunk. It was just it, it was a thing of beauty. It was gorgeous, man. Couture had seven and nine against Radford. All four of our big man, though, in that Radford game ended up with three fouls. Yes. So we were we were trying to throw throw our weight around a little bit, I think. But it's okay because we actually have four. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. We talked about the depth, I think, last week. We got a little bit more depth, so I think we can handle it. But let's, uh, let's be a little bit more careful throwing the weight around. Yeah, we got two kind of turd games coming up. Um, not to disrespect the opponents, but they, they're games we should win. Uh, and then we have Memphis the night before Thanksgiving, as Which we mentioned on the last huge. podcast. Yes, it is going to be huge. And then we get Iowa State or Xavier on Black Friday, I believe, uh, at the end of that tournament. So preseason NIT is going to be fun. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. And two very, very well-known and respected teams. So, I, I mean... You could be looking at this team going into those matchups and like as a legit top 25 team that like people would be paying attention to those games. So I'm, I'm excited. All right, let's talk about injuries briefly before we get into Duke. Trey Turner played in the game last weekend. He also said it was his last game in lane. Yeah. So that kind of indicates to me he's either transferring going to the NFL or retiring from football. I don't know which one I would lean towards transferring, but I, I'm, that's just my guess. I, I would, this gets a little bit muddled given the conversation that we just had. I think he probably saw maybe the tea leaves that were probably forthcoming. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, this leads to too much speculation, but yeah. I, I have a feeling during our last game, some people had an idea that things might be coming down the road uh, and hence our nice performance against Duke and one to having a nice like kind of performance. And he did as well. We can talk a little bit about the game. He only had, well, I believe, one catch in that game, but it was a monster. And he had a couple others, but that were almost catches. But yeah, I would suspect he's moving on to another yeah, program. That's a, that's, a, that's a good point. Burmeister started. He came out briefly, but he did start and tough it out. So that was good to see. Hoffman didn't play. <clears throat> He's not done for the year, as Fuente said, but we'll see. And then in terms of <clears throat> Trey Turner just finishing it off, he said he might be driving to the Miami game because uh, flying could aggravate his neck injury. Yeah. So that <laughs> road trip with Trey. <laughs> yeah. Just lay him up in the back seat. Uh, Hopefully obviously. someone's going to drive him there. I don't know. He's got to get a buddy or a coach or someone to take him. Yeah. Don't take a Greyhound down there. Those, uh, those seats are too upright and that's not going to help anything. All right. Let's do a quick beer break before we get into the game recap and just go over what happened against Duke. But first a moment to talk about our sponsor, downtown crown wine and beer and dominion wine and beer. The two finest beer stores in all of the DMV. We know that you need gifts for the holiday season, and there is no better gift to give than the gift of alcohol. (laughs) 
pour, pour some smiles on your brain, head over to Downtown Crown or Dominion and buy your, your wife, your brother, your mother, anyone. Wine, beer, they have the best selection around, local beers, but also a nice selection of beers from all over the country. And they have a friendly staff that will always help you find what you're looking for. Just tell them what you might need, what that person you're looking for a gift likes. They will point you in the right direction every time. Couldn't speak more highly of those guys. Make sure to hit them up the holiday season. You've got Dominion right in Falls Church, uh, Main Street. And then where 270, 370Me in Gaithersburg is where you will find Downtown Crown. For now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking. I'm drinking a non-alcoholic beer, so I'm going to be uneventful. It's the same Sam Adams, just the haze, non-alcoholic beer for me tonight. So I'm going to be um, in in a little bit of H2O. So uh, I'm taking it easy. Too much excitement today with the Fuente news. So I'm I'm trying to keep it low key. So, um, but isn't that one of those really? That's the that's one of the good ones, right? Oh like, my gosh, Sam it's amazing. It, it it tastes exactly like a hazy IPA. If you're into hazy IPAs and you're like, hey, you know, I got to go to work tomorrow, then always pick one up. It's it's good. I'm hoping more people will start making them. Uh, but here's what I got for for tonight. So that's what I'm going with. What are uh, what do you want over there? Oh wait, I think isn't this a big night here? <laughs> well, earlier today I did tweet from the account saying I'm drinking scotch on the podcast because we're doing just a little bit of celebrating. I'm trying to see if I can do this where I can get a photo, but we'll see how coordinated I am. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get Robbie in there too, but. Yeah, I'm drinking Oban Little Bay. It is a scotch from where else but Skyland. Oban, they make a lot of different types. This is the Little Bay small batch. And I got this as a gift. Uh, I was a groomsman at my buddy Phil's wedding. Robbie's met Phil many times. And he gave me this, I want to say, the weekend we beat BC 49-0. I remember because it was a fall wedding day. And he handed me this bottle. And I've kept it ever since. Haven't opened it. And I wow. thought today, since it was a gift from a Hokie, and one of our best wins under Fuente was the day I received this bottle. So I might as well crack it on the day he gets fired. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious and awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm drinking the Oban. It is it is great. I'm not a, a big scotch drinker. I do enjoy bourbon, obviously. I enjoy any kind of alcohol. But being a Hokie, we all enjoy bourbon. Scotch is a little bit more... It's harsher, yeah. but if you've got a good one, like many of the Obans are, you you really can't go wrong. And man, this is really tasty. If you get a chance to sample some of this, it's the Little Bay Small Batch. It is phenomenal. Really good scotch, and I'm already feeling it. There you go. It, uh, the scotch always hits quickly. All right, let's get into the game recap. It took us a little while to get rolling against Duke. We scored on the Raheem Blackshear run midway through the first. Added another touchdown early in the second on the pass to Keyshawn King, which was just a dime. Yep. Duke kicked a field goal to make it 14-3, but we returned the favor with a kick of our own, a 51-yarder by Romo. That made it 17-3 at the half. It wasn't like a super impressive performance, but you were feeling okay. But our offense, for us, erupted in the second half, scoring 10 points in the third, touchdown coming on 30-yard pass to Smith, and then we added another touchdown or two more touchdowns in the fourth, along with a defensive TD from Taiwan Garbit. Duke put up 14 more or less garbage points in the second half, but the game ended 48 to 17. And honestly, like it never felt close. Like after we got in the third quarter, once we put up that 
touchdown of the third, like I was feeling real comfortable and it was a walk. Yep. Yeah, I would say it started a little bit. I was a little bit worried at the beginning. Riley had like Riley, Riley Leonard could be two first names if and obviously suspected and whenever that happens. Uh, and he threw like a couple passes early that had me a little bit worried, but the defense really like managed to like kind of tighten things up, um, shutting things down on, on the offensive side. This was just, it was just bizarre. I mean, you know, Thomas had been rolling and then it wasn't the story in this game. Blackshear went off went crazy in this game 12 carries 117 yards one td that was just rushing the ball king had nine for 90 yards one td thomas only had seven carries for 10 yards i thought the offensive line opened up a lot of big holes for him in the beginning but blackshear like really started to make some damage like on the outside as well with a lot of kind of speed runs on the left hand side the right hand side some good perimeter blocking um, and had another light, nice like catch later on and a run and then a receiving touchdown later. So I, the story of the game for me was Blackshear. I mean, he was a monster in this game in both uh, facets of the offense. Definitely. I just put offensive explosion as our story of the game. And you're right. Blackshear was an animal, but it was our best offensive performance in the 44 games. We had just talked about that stat where we hadn't hit 500 yards. We went for 573, 9.7 yards per play, the most in 18 years. I got that from Ox on Twitter. Like He said it was since the 0-2 Syracuse game, since we went over 9 yards per play. Burmeister's best QBR, his best passer rating of the season— His rating was through the roof. It was 233, three touchdowns, 286 total yards for BB. He really, I mean, if nothing else, that guy is tough as nails. I mean, he gets hit, and he looks like he's in so much goddamn pain. I joked with you, like, he must be in a wheelchair Monday through Friday. Like, that's, (laughs) but he, he plays his nuts off every Saturday, and man, he, if, I'll be damned if he's not getting better. Like, I, early in the game, he threw a pass. It fluttered. It fell well short of the receiver. That this was, is on the it heels. Was, of, it was tipped, by the way. And that and that's what you tweeted. You texted <laughs> me. You're like, that ball was tipped. You know, take a step back. And then after that, he threw some amazing passes. Yeah, he did. He did. I and th- this was a flurry of just like offensive weirdness. So you had the juggling long catch by Trey Turner. Unfortunately, we didn't actually see him the ball catch the ball, like where he tipped it up to himself and then managed to catch it, I believe, with mm-hmm. one hand. Um, then you had um, Kadem missing Trey Turner wide open in the end zone. Remember on the long pass? Yep. And I was like, it was just all over the place. You had the tip drill to Robinson, where we didn't score any points at the end of the second quarter, where he, t- where it was the tip drill, basically a hail mary, and then he caught it, and then didn't come up with any points. But he was short at the end zone. Yeah, screws <laughs> on the three yard line. We had the trick play to Caleb Smith, which was an awesome, uh, well, well designed play, and then, um, then we then we that set up the direct snap to Blackshear. On, that was because that was the prior play. Blackshear took the direct snap. Then on the next play, he took the direct snap, but kill, you know kicked it back and then threw that long touchdown pass to Caleb. It was just all over the place. Like I, 
Like it was the one time that I couldn't figure out what the offense was doing, but it was actually fun. It was crazy fun. They were doing so many creative, cool things. And Dwight Vick said it. He's like, I've I've been waiting for them to run Wildcat like all year, and now you're busting out against Duke. And that's what a lot of people were saying. Like, you're really saving all this crazy crap for Duke. Is that what you but in light of what we just heard on Tuesday? Maybe it makes a little bit more sense. Like, literally, there's nothing to lose because I've just lost my job. So let's just do whatever we want on offense. I don't know what happened, but it was extremely fun to watch. And the defense for Duke was so bad that virtually anything we did was working. Yeah, it was incredible. We had another long pass to Lofton that got uh, negated for a touchdown. So that should have been another touchdown, ended up in a, a field goal. So overall, I thought the offense was amazing the defense um was also just interesting we had the entire third quarter end of third quarter quarter was just filled with flags there might have been 10 like penalty flags thrown in that like span i almost just turned it off if i didn't have there was like three passes at the end of the game that i had to put down for stats so i had to keep watching it otherwise i would have just turned it off because it was crazy but um I thought Dax had an amazing day, 12 tackles. He had a sack. He had one and a half tackles for a loss. He had a pass defended that he had on that, that tip ball. They put a stat on the board that I hadn't seen. So uh, during the first five games of the year, uh, or the last five games of the year, we had missed 11.6 tackles. And in the first four games, we only missed five. So I think that gave us kind of an inkling of what's been going on in the defense. And that was one of those stats from ESPN that you can't really get, and who knows if they're auditable anyway. So overall, I thought it was a good performance. We held them to 17 points, and it probably should have been less than that, as you alluded to, if not for garbage time. And then most of all, we had the nice strip by Pollard that was picked up by Garbett and then run back for a touchdown, which is an awesome play. You got to love the sack fumble. and. Taiwan getting that TD. He's so well liked. He's, I mean, before the season, people, coaches were talking about how like they want to live their life like Taiwan Garbett. Like he's, <laughs> he's like that much of a cool dude. Like I hope I get to meet him one day because he just sounds awesome. But it was cool to see him get that, that touchdown. Dax did have a good game. It was great to see him early and often getting in there. There was 343 yards we gave up, but to the point of us playing well. Duke's last two drives, which were really just junk, they went for 135 of that 343. So that gives you an idea of how well we played when the game mattered, so to speak. And I love Pollard too, man, forcing that fumble. Pollard is, is one of the best players on this defense, if not on the team. I mean, he, despite everything, we don't talk about him very much, but he is a dog, man. He gets in there and he plays hard all the time. And with Kendricks being out... He has stepped up and he has been playing well. So I love Norrell Pollard. Hopefully he'll stick around with the coaching change and all the rest. Special teams. Tavion had the long return. We almost broke one there. Yep. A couple of long makes for Romo. He did have the miss, but a couple of long makes. And then two monster punts for more. He's just going to do that every game. My takeaways, five and five now after the win. We have two games left to get to a bowl. And even though I knew... Last week, like Duke was a likely win. Being only one win away just makes it feel 
more possible. I was very down last week and maybe, maybe some of it's the food news, but like it's, I feel better about it today. Yeah. I, I, maybe that's because Armstrong's banged up. I don't know, but it just seems we're one game away. We can win one game. Yeah, I hope so. And you know, you're yeah. One win away and we're one coach fewer. So, uh, <laughs> at, at the least. So, um, no, I agree with you. I think, I think it's, possible i'm very interested to see whether what i alluded to earlier had any influence in this game whether there was anticipation of you know let's kind of was that why we were playing well yeah win one for the skipper you know kind of that whole situation and i don't think that's the case i think they wanted to go win a game and i think this was more about virginia tech being a part of Virginia Tech football and being part of like the fans being excited, all of that, than it was anything else being a home game, honestly. And I, I think it was a lot of, a lot of that. So I, you know, I'm I don't want to think too much into it. I think it was a great performance overall. It was a really fun game. All you know, the if we could get rid of the refs um, during that whole shit show that happened with them throwing a flag almost on every play. Just let it like at a certain point, just like let it happen. Like, right. There was like, I think it was like three ineligible receivers downfield within like five plays. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, you know, and it was honestly annoying. Um, but other than that, the game is awesome. Well, not only are we one game out, of potentially going to a bowl, Robbie. But I feel like we should address the elephant in the room of the Coastal still being on the table. You know, it's it's still possible. And with this renewed, how you say, like, there's there's nothing hanging over our head in terms of what's going to happen if we win the Coastal. Will there be negative consequences in the future because we keep someone around we might not want? We don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, And so we need Pitt to lose two. We need to win two, and that's that's pretty much it. Like that, yeah. that's all that needs to happen because UVA is involved in both of those ends. Yeah, so it'll it'll work itself out if if those two things transpire. So, um, yeah, we're somehow still in it. Which if you if you said that to me a week ago, I'd have been like, really? And you know, it's anything. What do possible. you think? What do you think the FPI put our odds at winning the division at? Do you know? I don't know, but I'm assuming that you've looked it up. So I would say 6%. (laughs) (laughs) 0.5. There we go. I I thought I went pretty low, but obviously not low enough. (laughs) Yeah, not low enough. Now, it's less than 1% that the FBI is giving us at winning the division. However, we just need UVA to beat Pitt. And if Armstrong plays, that's very possible. Uh, Although it's looking iffy because the line's like 11. Yep. And then... They, we need Syracuse to beat Pitt, who just got throttled. You picked Syracuse, I think, is how it went out, and they scored three. I probably they... did pick Syracuse, because <laughs> um, I remember thinking I really screwed that up. So. Yeah. But yeah, we have a shot. It's not a good shot, and nor do I really, like, really, really care, but how great would it be if J.C. Price leads us to the Coastal title? I mean, yeah, it would. it would be... It would be hilarious. Let's just put it, it that way. It would be way. hilarious. Yeah, so. And then we'd have a shot. I mean, if you play Wake, I'm not saying Wake's not good. They're extremely good. They probably score on us over and over and over again. Yes. But you'd at least be in the game. Like, win the Coastal, you got a chance to win the whole thing. Yeah, that's not happening. 
but uh, no, it was it's not. It was a fun thought while we we it, had it's it. It's a fun so, thought. It, yeah. Today's a day for happiness and optimism, and that's what that's what I'm doing. Yes, I and I I love it. So, um, well, let's hop in quickly because I have almost one and a half notes on this Miami game. And oh yeah, Miami, I yes. I honestly don't care about this uh, this this matchup in the sense that this team. I don't even know if they're going to have the same coach next year. And so they might join the, uh, the Virginia tech club at this point. Yeah. Let's do this as quick as possible. Miami Saturday, seven 30 PM on ACC network. They are also five and five coached by Manny Diaz. They've been on a nice little run before the loss to FSU. They had been playing well with Tyler Van Dyke at QB. Yep. And their last three losses have come by eight points combined. They, but, their last three wins have come by nine points combined. This Miami team, all they do is play close games. They could be two and eight. They could be eight and two. That's what. That's kind of what they do. These scores are outrageous. So they they <laughs> lost to Virginia thirty to twenty eight. They lost to North Carolina forty five forty two. They won at NC State thirty one thirty. I'm not making these up. These are real. Things. Pittsburgh one point 30, yeah thirty eight thirty four. Georgia Tech thirty three thirty. And Florida State thirty-one twenty-eight. That is remarkable. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Like they could seriously be two and eight. Like they really could, but they're not because, shockingly, against all odds, Manny Diaz has a, found a quarterback. He's managed to motivate these kids, and on defense, uh, we, we'll get into some more of the details. Details, but they're playing like tons of freshmen, yeah. and they're performing like crazy. Yeah, he's basically banking on on next year is uh, is the way that I kind of look at it. And um, yeah, they just but all their opponents though they have not held anybody below. Okay, so Florida State they held the twenty eight points and they held Virginia to twenty eight points. That's out of their last six games, right? Like, I mean, yeah. they are giving up a ton of points. They held Central Connecticut to zero, which is really not all that. Astounding. But even with that zero, mm-hmm. they're giving up over thirty points a game. Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, yeah, their 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 defense is giving up a ton. They have a ton, like you said, a ton of, uh, of freshmen playing, and th- this is looking more and more like a build for next season. Um, and kind of you know I can't attack the the coastal, so let's kind of see what we can do. Um, see what we could do next year if we give these guys reps. Yeah, I I agree with that. Let's talk about Van Dyke quickly because since he has been starting in earnest, he has been amazing. 19 touchdowns, six picks, 77.8 QBR. That's 14th nationally. Yep. And 159 rating is third in the ACC behind Pickett and Hartman. He's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, 20 touchdowns total if you include his one rushing TD. He doesn't run the ball well. He's taken 20 sacks, but he is a very good passer. They've been re- relying on Jalen Knighton out of the backfield. He's been blowing up. Yep. 493 yards, nearly 500 yards in six games. If you go from scrimmage, he's over 700 yards and eight touchdowns in six games. This Knighton kid is going to be a problem. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And the the weird part is with Cameron Harris, it's – He's been gone. He's out, out of the game. He's not even a factor anymore. And he was a really, really good running back. So now it's all about Knighton, and Knighton looks really good. I mean, he is, um, you know, he's their premier back, obviously. And 
he has, you know, he, he did have one huge game, which was obviously against Georgia Tech. He had 162 yards, which is bringing up his, his numbers a little bit, but he's he's playing really well. I mean, the names on this team are awesome. Tyler Van Dyke, Cameron Harris, Jalen Knighton, Charleston Rambo. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that name? That's their wide receiver. 6'1", 185. This guy's almost at 1,000 yards already. 955, five touchdowns, uh, 64 receptions. I mean, he is he's doing work for the Canes. And Keyshawn Smith's a freshman. He's got almost 400 yards and three touchdowns. And then Mike Harley is a name we've heard for a while. He's a senior, 41, almost 404 TDs. So when I saw Rambo, I remembered. Do you know where Rambo played for? Oklahoma. No. Just looked it up. Yep, he he played for Oklahoma. He was a transfer. Oh, shit. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, but no, he has 64 receptions. Yeah, and almost 1,000 yards. He's he's playing extremely well. He he played well at uh, at Oklahoma, but not like great um and i think he got injured i'm pretty sure um in the 2020 season and it was a shortened season anyway but i'm pretty sure he got injured but yeah charleston rambo he played he played for oklahoma such a cool name overall van dyke has been on fire and they have great weapons and it's definitely the better side of the ball like they're 22 and the sp plus on offense on defense they're 47 but if you go into their more standard numbers 70th in yards per play on defense we already said 98th in scoring. I mean, they're giving up 30 points per game. 72nd in opposing pass rating. The only thing they do well on defense is create a little bit of havoc with the tackles for loss and the sacks. They're 13th in TFL per game, 32 in sacks, an additional 31 hurries. They're still Miami in that regard. However, in every other regard, it's not your Manny Diaz defense. They lost all those senior linebackers. They lost a bunch off the D-line, and... There's still guys there. Like McLeod is still there. Yep. You know, they, they've got Bubba Bolden, but it's not the Miami defenses we're used to under Manny Diaz. Yeah, I mean, McLeod has four and a half sacks on the year. I mean, he's still disruptive, obviously. He's always going to be, but it's it's not as... I remember last year, remember we talked about how like big and just physical they looked. It, it's not the same Miami defense. Yeah. There's no Jalen Phillips That's out right. there. Yeah, exactly. So overall, not a great defense. They can still get after the QB, but ultimately we should be able to score a little bit on this team. The question is, are we going to get BC, Virginia Tech offense, or are we going to get a little flavor of what we saw the previous two weeks against GT and Duke, you know, the ones that surrounded that game? I, I just don't know. Yep, and we will we will see. But this one... It depends. I mean, the biggest thing is, does with the way they get after the quarterback, we have to worry about Braxton Burmeister. Cause yeah. like, if he goes out, we're not going to do Dick. Yeah. That, that could be, that could be tough. And yeah. You know, we also have the fact that we have a different head coach. <laughs> and, that, and that's, and that is really, if you want to get into the analysis of it, like this will be a stiff test for our defense and the offense will have its whatever. It's the X factor. Yeah. Foo is gone. Will we rally around J.C. Price and just, you know, our coach is gone, or will we not? Like, that's that's a huge X factor. But on Miami's side, they just played Florida State. It was an emotional game. They they had played so terrible in the beginning. All these penalties, all this crap. They come back. They take the lead, and then they lose the lead, and they lose the game. Yep. And so 
They're coming down from that. We're coming off losing our head coach. There's a lot of crap at play. But today, I noticed the line went from Miami minus 7 to minus 8 after the Fuente news. So, one, that's not a big move. But two, it tells me, like, yeah, Miami still might be the way to go in this game. Yeah. I will uh we don't do picks so I'm not going to I'm not going to pick it but I I hear you. I that that is a smaller move than I would have expected honestly. Yeah. I would have thought I would have thought it moved like two or two and a half points but Yeah. And here's the thing though. Vegas might have known that on Sunday. Yeah. Like they have sources. Yep. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um all right, that's going to do it for Miami. Let's get into the picks, Robbie. Let's fire him off. Wake at Clemson. Clemson, four-and-a-half-point favorites, even though they're unranked and Wake is number 10. This is in Death Valley. Wake. I'm going to take I'm gonna take Wake, too. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I already knew which direction you were going to go. It's the right choice, right. anyway. GT at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, 17-point favorites at home. That's a big line. Um, Notre Dame's been turning it on. I'm taking Notre Dame. Yeah, I have them as well. UVA at Pittsburgh. We need this one, and the line has been increasing like all week long. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take UVA because it's 14 points. I want to take UVA on the road. Heinz Field is not the menacing road environment. Pitt has been known to not only pit other teams, but pit themselves. <laughs> so I'm going to take UVA. I have UVA. All these are pre-picked, by the way. I'm not changing any of mine this week. So Florida State at Boston College. I noticed this line came down a point today. It was two and a half. Now it's one and a half. BC is the favorite. Ugh, Florida State is, in in my opinion, the better team. But Chestnut Hill and BC has won two games in a row. That's right. I'm going to take Florida State. I like Florida State. Okay. I had Florida State already. So I thought you were going to flip and go BC on that. I, w- I was close there. Syracuse at NC State. You, NC State. Do you want to take your orange point. in this game? I don't know if I can stick with them anymore, man. NC State's good. I know they just lost a wake, but that's a that's a good team. Yep. And this is on the road. I'm going to take the Wolfpack. I already had them, so perfect. We're just all the same. All right, now we get out of conference. So let's uh, see what we got here. Yeah. This is the game we were talking about earlier. If Cincinnati's going to lose a game before the championship game. This would be the one I would imagine that they would lose. SMU at Cincinnati. Cincinnati, 11 and a half point favorites. You want me to go first? Sure. Go Cincy. I'm going SMU. There we go. <laughs> now we got to change. I like it. I I actually, I, I like this game on the money line a little bit. Just, just a little. I know it's in Cincinnati. I would, this is a, when I say sprinkle, I mean like one sprinkle. <laughs> <laughs> Oregon at Utah. Utah, three-point favorites at home. Or Utah's been playing better in the second half for sure. Yep. Uh, did they just lose, though? Didn't they just lose a game? Um, pretty sure they just You're going to have to look that up. I don't know. I think they lost uh, Oregon at Utah. I'm going to take Utah at home. I have Utah three points. at home. Uh, I do. Even though they're favorite, I'm going to take them. Uh, no, they didn't just win. They just beat uh, Arizona 38 Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. It was a very – it was dicey. Yeah. Yeah, they came back at the end. So it was thirty. It ended up thirty-eight twenty-nine, but they came back at the end. <laughs> That's what it was. Okay. And then the last game. Did you pick? Uh, yeah, I already had Utah. All right, Michigan State at Ohio State. 
I'm a little bit surprised about this line. This is the same line that Ohio State had against Penn State. This 18 and a half, mm-hmm. very close to the Penn State line, and Penn State wasn't ranked. Yep. Michigan State's a top 10 team. This is this is a little bit like I'm a little scared about this. <laughs> I'm going Michigan State. I'm going to go Michigan State too, but like that line makes me scared about that. Pick. I'd be a little bit worried about the line, but. I don't know. Michigan State just likes fucking with people, so I imagine they could do it here. So, yeah, yeah. I I think they should be able to keep it close. I don't know. Ohio State, like, I I keep wanting to think they're a clear top four team, but they keep showing me that they're not, yeah. and then showing me that they are the next week. So, I feel like this is an off week. They're gonna play bad against Michigan State, but then they're going to throttle Michigan or yeah. something. You're basically playing roulette is what you're saying. It's just <laughs> rather red yes. or black. Yeah. <laughs> Literally scarlet red. Yeah, scarlet <laughs> or red or black. Or, gonna, or that neon green that Michigan yes. State likes to wear. Yeah. Exactly. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. I mean, I know it was a little bit longer, but we had to get in all the Fuente stuff and I had to drink scotch, and yeah. we we had to have some fun. Man, it, it was a requirement, and it was well worth every moment of it. And we will go into more detail on who might be our head coach, who will be our head coach when all of that stuff comes to light. Hopefully, we'll be able to have a guest on, someone who can speak a little bit better. We haven't worked any of that out, but six years ago when we were changing coaches – Joe Lanza came on the podcast and helped us discuss it. And it was a lot of fun. Yep. Maybe we'll do something similar. We'll have to see, but until next time, when we are hopefully celebrating bowl eligibility, go Hokies. Go Hokies.